Before we start the show, we want to let you know about our 2021 listener survey. This is where you can let us know your feedback and your thoughts about the show so that way we can make it better for you. And as a bonus, and I thank you for taking the survey, we are giving away a $50 Amazon gift card. One lucky winner will be drawn, so all you have to do is take the survey and leave us your email address. Thank you so much for your support. And to take the survey, go to rotoscopers.com slash 2021 survey. This episode is brought to you by Shop Disney. Start all of your magical shopping at Shop Disney, your number one place on the internet to get your Disney fix. They have everything you can imagine from toys to clothing to action figures to movies to CDs. It is your one-stop shop. And the cool thing about Shop Disney is that some of the merchandise which is available in the parks you can find at Shop Disney. So if you're wanting a spirit jersey to get ready to plan your magical adventure, your next time in the parks, go to Shop Disney to start your shopping. And especially with Halloween just around the corner, they have the most beautiful Halloween costumes for kids and adults. And you'll definitely want to check out some of their deals. So that way you can dress up as your favorite Disney princess or prince. Also, you get free shipping with orders of 75 or more. Just use the code ship magic. Be sure to go to rotoscopers.com slash shop Disney. Now on to the show. You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast, episode 222, Animal Farm. Make Orwell fiction again, please. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, the number one place to get your animation fix with animation addicts just like you. Each episode, we dive into the wonderful world of animation featuring Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, and everything in between. From hilarious discussions and movie reviews to interviews with industry insiders, this show's mission is to brighten your day through our love of animation. So hop on your nerdy couch, grab some snacks, and get ready to hang out with your animation besties because it's time to dive into to today's episode. Hey, animation addicts. My name is Chelsea Robson. And I'm Morgan Stradling. And we are here to bring you a very different kind of episode today. Yeah, these are my favorites. The movies that are based on books. I think one of the biggest ones that stands out in my mind is Watership Down. There's definitely a lot of elements that are similar to this book and movie that we are going to be reviewing today. And today we are going back in time and we are reviewing Animal Farm, which is based on George Orwell's book and novella of the same name, Animal Farm. Before we do the movie, I want to go ahead and talk about the book. Ooh, okay. So from time to time, when there is a movie that is based on a book, we will have our book report time where one of us will go and we will read the book to prepare so we can understand the source material, what they changed, what's different, what's the same. And I think that's really important because by understanding the source, you can see, wow, they stuck to it or they totally deviated, right? We did that with the Snow Queen. The Snow Queen is way different than Frozen and that's fine because it made its its own thing. But this definitely is an adaptation. So Chelsea read the book this time. I really wanted to. It's a it's a very quick read. You can go on Audible and it's about a three-hour read. Go to rotoscopers.com slash audible. You can get one free book if you wanted to check out Animal Farm. You could just do that. Also, bonus, if you are a Prime member, if you use our code, you get two free Audible credits, Ooh. which is pretty darn cool. So I definitely was going to use my 
I definitely, I have six audible credits right now and I was going to use one, but I had to choose. Do I want to read the book or do I want to watch the movie before <laughs> recording? <laughs> and, um, I think it made sense that I watched the movie. So there I chose go. that, there but Chelsea go. read the book. I did. And this was the very first time I've ever read this book, which is a very, um, it's interesting for two reasons. One, I remember a lot of people during high school, they were reading it mm -hmm. and they were talking about yeah, it. I read it in high school. And so, and on the one hand, I wanted to read it in high school, but it was never assigned and <laughs> ain't nobody got time for an extra book on your list when you already have to read a whole <laughs> bunch of crap. And so I, which is a shame because I, I wish I would have been able to do that or I wish I would have taken that opportunity, but if I would have had like an audible or something at the time, I definitely would have done that. Um, or a Libby. Yeah. Which I, is your, you can connect your local library to get digital copies of things. Um, you know, in high school, that wasn't as much of a thing. <laughs> you actually had to go to the library and check out the audio CDs. Right. <laughs> First, I want to talk about why I chose the title of this episode, which is make Orwell fiction again. Number one, I saw it on a t-shirt and I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> and Two, I kind of like being a never troll in this moment. Um, and three, I am fully aware of the irony that goes along with it because Orwell himself was always insistent upon the importance of language and the danger posed by sloganized thinking and official idioms and things like that. So all of these things are done in complete irony and just trying to be funny. All right, moving on. <laughs> So this was the very first time I've read this book and there are a lot of things that they kept and there are a lot of things that they didn't uh, include. And granted, it was probably because they only had an hour or they only wanted to do an hour show. And so they took out certain elements of it. One random really funny thing is, so if you're watching the movie... You had this this song that they sing, and they actually give a tune, <laughs> like an example. And they said the song was a mix of Clementine and La Cucaracha. <laughs> I was like, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was amazing. Um, but I do want to go in and like read a little bit of the introduction from Animal uh -huh. Farm that was in the book that I had. And... Uh, it just had a lot of background information on it. Ironically, the whole thing was written by a guy named Christopher Hitchens, who, you know, if you're looking at his Wikipedia, he is a self-proclaimed Marxist. So thought that was interesting. Animal Farm was written during the Second World War. Orwell was British and they were fighting the Germans at that same time who were more socialist rather than communist. But it's, you know, socialism is just on a scale of communism. It's like basically right there. And so Orwell despised Hitler and fascism and had fought as a volunteer soldier for the Spanish Republic when they were fighting against Franco going up into this. And I believe that he went in and decided to do a story about the Russian Revolution because it was actually the Russians who were, as in the book, it says they were sending out all these birds to all different places to be able to create more uprisings everywhere else. It was really Russia that was doing that to many different places. So you had Spain, Italy, you also had in China. I have been reading a biography of Mao for the last couple of years, and it's just the hardest thing to get through, mostly because you feel really dirty after you've read a little bit of it, because like the man was just so, so evil. But they did all start with these different 
connection points from within Russia and they went out. And so that I believe is why Orwell was like, okay, here is the genesis of where all of these rebellions and upheavals of this decade have been coming from, which is mm -hmm. like, you know, the Romanovs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> have you heard there's a rumor in St. Petersburg? <laughs> <laughs> so they go through and um, he writes, quote from Christopher, he says, a deadly satire on the illusion of Soviet communism, which was... I mean, I feel like if you've read one book, you've read them all about everything that happens like on the mm -hmm, on mm -hmm. the brink of going into a communist dictator state. And yes. ironically, the original manuscript was sent to T.S. Eliot, who was the author of The Wasteland and who was yes. ironically more against fascism and communism. But he turned the book down. And then also it was sent to another publisher. And the head of that was Peter Smollett. He basically made it his business to make sure that no other publishers pick this book up. And he was saying, oh, it's because fighting against Germany and Russia is probably on our side or could be on our side. So we need to not go against what Russia is saying. Really come to find out later that he was an agent of the Soviet secret intelligence. Oh, <laughs> uh, woof. <laughs> So it's like, holy crap. <laughs> and it wasn't until a group of Ukrainian socialists living in refugee camps in post-war Europe after World War II got a hold of this book and they basically sent it out to everybody amongst themselves. And Orwell actually gave them permission to translate it and distribute it in the Ukrainian language for free, which is cool. Um, this edition that was distributed among those refugees in Germany but most of the copies were actually seized by the American military authorities and like given to the Red Army to be burned. So it's just like <laughs> there's so many weird things that go around keeping this book down, which is kind yeah. of ironic in the fact that at the time of publication, at the you time know, of publication, uh, when we were in high school, it was regularly assigned. Yes, as reading. But in the 40s, like before it actually got hold, mm -hmm. it was it wasn't until later on that they were able he was able to get it published and i mean it's just amazing when you look at uh the difference of force versus freedom and like how do we talk to each other and how do we get our opinions across yeah and chelsea and i come from a very american perspective of freedom and liberty and the way that the american government is set up you know there's these systems of checks and balances to prevent this abuse of power and you know, that's really what we see in Animal Farm. So like Chelsea said, this is a fairy tale. Initially, it had the subtitle Animal Farm colon a fairy story. You know, it's just a very short novella that through satire, it's able to tell us and teach us the principles of what Orwell thought about socialism and communism. And, and really, when I think of this book, I think of power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that's what we see. We see all good intentions um, to start to live a better life um, and then going all in on one system and belief of rule and how because of human nature and, you know, we do live in a fallen world where ultimately there is good versus evil and the natural man and the, the nature of man, there will be some that succumb to that and they want to use their power over others and to set them above others. Mm -hmm. And that's really what this is. And we see that with the pigs. So uh, I, I'm not going to jump into it just yet. If you're going to finish your little 
book review and then we will, cause there's so much to talk here. Yeah. Well, and Orwell said that he set this all up in, in England to show that the English were no better than anyone else. And that total, the totalitarian danger could exist anywhere and everywhere. Yes. Mm -hmm. The irony of the movie that we're going to be talking about was this cartoon film, uh, which was sponsored by the CIA, Yes, <laughs> which is like <laughs> in and out of itself, once again, is ironic because Orwell hated the idea of all of these two superpowers coming up against each other and basically using this competition between each other as an excuse to impose their will on the people at home. So you'll see this everywhere. Anytime there's a war anywhere, in any country, anywhere, they always create a boogeyman over there. Well, we must do this because we have this enemy. In the book, it comes back to this point over and over. Oh, but he was with Snowball. Snowball was the one behind everything. And you aren't with Snowball, are you? And in my opinion, anything that comes from a government source is its own propaganda and it is trying to get you to feel a certain way about certain things and i may or may not agree with certain things that it puts out but it, there it is that's what's happening so this guy christopher hitchens who wrote this i mean it's just interesting because he also goes through and he has he being a proponent of marxism also talks about how he went to North Korea and was noticing all these Orwellian situations where he's like, yeah, that's really what is happening over here. When you look at this book, it can be read in multiple different ways and it can be seen from multiple different lenses and you can, everybody can take something from it. I was really glad that I, that I read this book because there are so many moments where, I, I mean, it also kind of felt like I was reading another book that I've, I love, which is called wild swans. And it talks about mm -hmm. the, the transitions between, um, imperialist China to the Kulamantang all the way to Maoist China. And then after the death of Mao and like specific things that happened along the way that help progress this, these movements. And like I said before, it's like, if you've read one, you've read them all and you can see them all as they happen right before your eyes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that is, that is my book report <laughs> based, not really a book report, but it's more of like my, uh, first takings from this book. There were a lot of things. Yeah. And I think as we're talking about the movie, we're going to be talking about the book simultaneously because the, the high level themes and and principles and things that are depicted in the book are likewise in the movie. So initially, you know, you mentioned that this was an animated film. It came out a, a decade later, uh, more or less from when the book was published. So it was initially released December 29th, 1954. It had, it had a budget of $350,000. It was directed by John Hallis and Roy Batchelor. And the studio was Hallis and Batchelor. So this was a UK studio. And like you mentioned, it was commissioned by the CIA, which is pretty funny, but you know, they wanted to make sure that like a UK studio was the one, you know, producing it. So <laughs> it didn't course. seem like, you know, American <laughs> had hands and that's really, you know, let's be really, that's how power and governments all work. They try to, you know, be in the shadows, but nonetheless, it's pretty nice, you know, watching it, the animation feels Disney-esque 
it's good, but not great. I think during the initial uprising of the animals against the farmer, uh, the, you can see some of the, the shortcuts that they do in the animation. Like when all the animals are like in groups, like all the pigs lunge forward and attack him and all the horse, you know, yeah, the horses yeah. and the sheep, like there's no animation. It's literally, they just moved the cell, like <laughs> pushed it from like point A to point B. There's no animation. Right. So I was like, okay, cool. But, uh, they're getting their point across, but nothing too crazy, but it was nice. And I will say there is another version that's on Amazon prime right now, you know, in the future, if you're listening to this, it could be removed, but it was done around 1999 and it's longer. This one was about 60 minutes long. And the the one on Amazon, it's more of a live action. It's done in the style of babe, you know, where the characters, they have really horrible CGI mouths that <laughs> like it's an actual dog and sometimes it's like a puppet pig. Um, the puppet pig, you can tell like it's a puppet moving the mouth open, but like the dog, it's a real dog. And then it's just this horrible CGI, like almost what you'd see, like, um, the that orange character on youtube like his mouth is just moving it's like someone else's mouth like that is how the cgi is but i will say that that version i liked better than this version this version because it's so short they just cut a lot of the principles out i feel like i don't really get to know the characters as well yeah um obviously read the book it's very short super easy to do I mean, I'm jumping the gun, but if I think if you were to watch one, if you wanted to see it depicted, I would recommend like the live action version, but this one's good just to get like a quick taste of what's happening. Yeah. So as we go through, like we, everybody brings to the table what they, as Morgan was saying earlier, like, you know, our own backgrounds and what we have seen and what we feel in, um, based on our own situations and based on our own, just everything that we've gone through individually. So our opinions in this are, you know, our own <laughs> and they're ever changing. And like, I've gone through over the, like 2020 did a number on me, I'll be honest. And saying like, I've actually gone through and I've tried to reevaluate most of what I believe to be true and to really figure out, okay, what do I believe? What is, and why do I believe that? Do I believe that based on my own exploration of a subject or just because that's what somebody told me yes have i done my own research if if i have like an emotional response to something why is it emotional what is going on what you know what makes that emotional is it valid is my reasoning for that based on once again my own exploration and study or is it just based on somebody else's telling to me of what has happened and because of that i've had a lot of different of what I would say my previous beliefs have not changed, but more shifted and more redefined more and more of life. I think just as you get older too, just becomes a lot more nuanced. Mm -hmm. There's definitely things that I see as like good versus evil, but then there's also like, okay, but why is somebody doing that? Is that because of good versus evil? Or is that because they are doing it from a place of that's all I know? That makes Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about this film. So there's a whole bunch of animals. They do what animals do. They work on a farm. They all have different jobs. And there's a farmer who's over the farm, Mr. Jones, and he's just a drunk. He's not a good farmer and he beats the animals. And finally, you know, after one day, the animals decide no more. And there's an uprising. Now, before this uprising happens, there is a pig who his name's Old Major and he proclaims this doctrine to fuel a rebellion, right? And, and says that, Hey, the way that things have been going are not the way. 
and you know, here's what you need to do. And allegorically, he's supposed to be a representation of Karl Marx. And that's one thing that I really do like about this book. And that I like, I think that's why it's good and recommended for high schoolers is because nearly every single character represents something or someone. Mm -hmm. And so very quickly, you know, Karl Marx, I recently read the communist manifesto like you, I was like, okay, well, if I'm against Marxism, which I am, uh, I need to go back to the original source and read that and see what are the precepts? What, what was it? It was very quick read, um, surprisingly. And, um, so I can recognize it and see its effects in modern day and throughout history. So, uh, you know, he was in the 1800s and, you know, was really the one, and it's a very influential book. You know, it's one of the, like the most influential of the 19th, 20th, and now 21st centuries people draw upon it even today. And so, you know, he's the, the, the original ideas that spawn what ultimately happens with the rebellion of Napoleon and Snowball and, you know, all the other animals. And so even though he dies, his ideas live on, which is interesting. You know, he had probably the most influential character in the book and in the movie, even though he's, he's gone very quickly. Uh, the animals have this uprising and then they kind of establish their new order. And this is really important. They have these commandments, right? And they, they, they have such good intentions, right? right? As most people do, uh, animals. And here are the original commandments. I think it's important to go through these. Number one, whatever goes upon two legs is an enemy. So they're, they're very, even at the beginning, they're establishing us versus them may or may not be a good thing. Whatever goes upon four legs or has wings is a friend. They had to put in the wings because the chickens kind of get upset, <laughs> right? No animal shall wear clothes. Again, they are establishing the enemy. What does the enemy do? Um, and, and human and man is the enemy because of how they've been treated. No animal shall sleep in a bed. No, no animal shall drink alcohol. No animal shall kill any other animal. And all animals are equal for the most part, pretty good things. Um, you know, but again, they're creating the us versus them to unite the animals together. And, and really what, you know, in Marxist, he was all about the working class and there's like the, the aristocracy up at the top who rule it all. There's sort of this middle class, um, the bourgeois. And then there's the working class. And you see this in Animal Farm. The working class are the actual animals. They are doing the work. The bourgeois is, um, I was going to say Dr. Jones. Nope. Uh, Mr. Jones, the farmer. And then we don't really see this in this version of it, but there is a level above it, which are the owners of the farm. Right. Mr. Jones is just the, the, the one kind of like doing the work above the animals and kind of commanding the animals to do the work. But there are people above him who are kind of just like reaping the rewards of everything else. Right. Kind of like the business owners are the ones who are putting forth the capital and, and having to sacrifice and pay the price. They could lose it all. Right. It's ultimately on, on them. So uh, that's how it's established, but very quickly, you know, as some people start having more control than others, these original commandments slowly get changed. They add a little light here. They scratch something out here. Um, and ultimately at the end, so they're all replaced by just one, one phrase. And so the ultimately they're changed to no animal shall sleep in a bed, which was fine with sheets because the pigs, <laughs> start eventually living in the house and they like it and they realize, wow, this is actually pretty good. You know, you live in the life of luxury. You see, wow, this is nice. So with sheets was the, the caveat. Okay. It makes <laughs> this okay. Uh, no animal should drink alcohol to excess 
a little alcohol never going to hurt you, but just don't go overboard because that's what the people did. That's what Mr. Jones did. And that's when it gets bad. And no animal shall kill any other animal. Well, without cause. <laughs> There's times when you need to need to kill others for sure. Uh, this eventually become no good. And they're all replaced by the final axiom. All animals are equal. Some are more equal than others. Boom. Mic drop everything at that point. Yeah. is um, It's done at that point. And this is one thing that I... I didn't like about this film and other people have criticized this too is at the end of the film, they completely changed the ending. And mm -hmm. I think it's to kind of give hope that, Hey, you can have, even if you're in this situation, you can have another uprising against those in power. Um, and so that's what happens is like the animals storm in with the pigs who are playing cards with the humans. But in the book, it's a lot more grim yeah. where the animals are looking up at the window and they see the pigs playing cards with the humans. Like the, there's other farmers nearby that have other lands um, and they're up there and the animals can't tell the difference between the pigs and the people. Yeah. And they almost have like a hallucination where Napoleon and one of the pigs looks like Mr. Jones. And so it, I just love that ending so much because it shows everything that we went against and we wanted to fight we have become them and there's no difference anymore. Yeah. The animals are walking on two legs at the end of this. The pigs are, um, they're just like slowly evolving and morphing into what they went against in the first place. Yeah. Cause I watched the movie first and then I went in and I read the book and that was something that I was like, Oh wow. Mm -hmm. I mean, Orwell focuses a lot on language and the importance of language and how it can be twisted to meet somebody's own means and not even just in language, but also history and what our knowledge is and what we remember based on what we decide to remember. And there's parts of it where as the farm in the book, you know, the pigs have decided, oh, but we are the ones who are doing memos and memorandums and, and, and paperwork. <laughs> and we have to do all these things. Like you couldn't, without this, like we wouldn't be able to stand. So we are, what our work is, is just as important. You wouldn't want farmer Jones to come back would you. And it always ends up with that. Like, Oh, it's farmer mm -hmm. Jones. Like he, there's, there mm -hmm. always has to be an enemy and there always yes. has to be something that you got to like scare them into. And coercion. Yeah. Once there are two factions, two leaders, Snowball was one that was, you know, arguably the more righteous of the two versus he and Napoleon. But either way, they were combating factions, two sides, and mm -hmm. there can only be one main leader. And so you had to get rid of Snowball. And once Snowball was gone, then they assigned this whole background story that really wasn't him, but they're like, oh, he's the evil one. That is how everything has changed. Yes. He was with Farmer Jones the whole time. Dun, dun, dun. It was Agatha <laughs> all along. <laughs> like the changing of history was something that was so poignant to me as everything went through it, because they would just be like, that's not what you remember. Like you want to go home and rethink your life. Uh, you know, it's like these, yes, I want to go home and rethink my life. <laughs> these Jedi. Yes, they try things. to change. Yeah. They, they change the history and the gaslight mm -hmm. the other animals, mm -hmm. which we see today. We see that happening where, no, that didn't happen. You're not seeing that. That's not what, that's not what happened. And eventually those that are weak-minded, they're going to be like, oh, okay. They're not going to question it. And, yeah. and specifically we have the sheep, which are aptly named. And they kind of represent the sheeple, like the people who just kind of like go along and 
don't question things. Uh, they're, they're very pro, you know, the movements, they, they spout off their, their saying over and over and over again. They kind of have these different slogans that have been fed to them and they just, because they're not critical thinkers and they are just sheep, uh, literally and figuratively, they don't ever change. Yeah. They don't seek more. They just accept the norm. They accept the status quo. They accept what's being told to them by the authority. Right. It is a mic drop. The all all animals are equal. Some are more equal than others. <laughs> it just is like <laughs> every time I hear that, it's like, oh, it's so so good. Yeah, you know, looking at the very beginning, you had the animals. The first revolution was so intense when they're drawing all this. Like you actually have people like they're showing death and they're showing like the horse kicking and mm-hmm. oh mm-hmm. man, this is. Very much akin to what was seen in a Watership Down. <laughs> it was just like, oh gosh, oh yes, oh, yeah, oh, this is intense, and this is a Little fairy blood. a fairy tale story. Okay, yeah, <laughs> but they wasted no time destroying everything that reminded them of the hateful Mister Jones. So it it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what it was; we're going to destroy it because it reminds us of him, except for the things that maybe we like. Um, one thing that they left out in the book was <laughs> Molly was the was yes. the other horse the horse and they left her out of the movie and one of my favorite lines from her in the book was just like well will i still be able to get sugar no you're not going to be able to get sugar we don't <laughs> need sugar but you will have all the oats you need um okay but will i be able to wear ribbons in my hair no that mm-hmm. is just a sign of your slaver enslavement and she's like well i like ribbons but i, I like ribbons <laughs> yeah and she's in the she's in the live action version and i think that does a good job of painting like a different person you know in these revolutions yeah. who are they're they're okay with this the way things are the power dynamics that you know some people have more money than others and power and you know obviously using that power unjustly and violently and and hurting others is bad but at the same time like just because there is inequity it does not necessarily mean it's bad mm-hmm. and and she really does represent that where she's like i'm okay i like it you know and she's okay with the way things are and but yeah like having ribbons in your hair and eating sugar aren't necessarily a bad thing in her mind but to them it's an excess it's an excess that you know, isn't, isn't helping anything to, for their cause. And so they're going to nip that in the bud. <laughs> yeah. And I mentioned how they have this revolution song and in the movie, they don't go about trying to write yeah. a song at all. They're just like in the live action <laughs> one, they do. Okay. And it's better. Uh, in, in this one, it's just a whole bunch of animals, like squawking and squeaking <laughs> and uh, making hooting and hollering. Right. And, um, in, in the live action, they, they're actually singing a song together. Okay. And, but then they give the perspective of the humans in the house and they're listening and they're just hearing, hearing oh, all okay. this hemming and hawing and noise. And they're like, what is going on there? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so in that movie, they come and they check out what's the, the noise and they end up shooting old major. which I don't think happens in the book. Definitely didn't happen in this one. No. Um, Old Major in the book just kind of dies after a while. He died a peaceful death Um, this one, two days later. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. In the live action, it was like there's an inciting incident that kind of helps to push it along. Like, oh, they killed Old Major. Right. But I I just can't imagine how that little comrade did. He didn't catch on. (laughs) It was just like... (laughs) 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 Chelsea, shall we do oh a God. Morgan Chelsea sings at the end of this? <laughs> yeah, right. Somebody better find that thing and put it out of its misery. 
Which, I mean, if that's what you're coming at, like, ugh, they poor animal. <laughs> Put it out of his ear. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> um, there's this point also that is after the initial incitement. Now, in the book, there's actually two min- incitements. There's the initial up- uprising and overthrowing uh-huh. of the of the farmer. And then there's another one a little bit later on that is... Yeah, the farmers come back. Mm-hmm. And like more farmers. Like he, he gets together and he tries to right. take it back. And I just remember thinking that they they basically combined that fight in the movie with another fight later on um, of the destruction mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of the windmill. But anyway, yeah. there was this initial one where they end up having these dogs in the initial revolution in the movie. The parent dogs are gone, but then you have these puppies that Napoleon basically takes under his wing. And in the book, he actually takes these dogs away later on before they kick out Snowball. And mm-hmm. then they end up, he, he teaches these dogs as they grow up. So now they grow up having an entirely different knowledge of the world based on the only one teacher that they've ever had. And so they are zealots in whatever mm-hmm. ideology that they have come un- to take upon themselves because of Napoleon. And Napoleon, the pig, kicks out Snowball, the pig, and then also says, oh, no public gatherings. And it's just like, there's so many of these uh, moments that are cut, like, sh- like jump Sounds familiar. off the page <laughs> to me. That I'm like, oh, goody. Yeah. No, um, going back to the puppies, I mean, that's really how you know he's evil. And pay yeah. attention to this is, you know, when they, they try to destroy families and instead, well, children are better being raised by the government. And, you know, the, the government, daddy government knows best, whether that's a person or just an institution, that the parents aren't the ones that, that know what's best for their own flesh and blood. So in this case, you know, the dogs are gone and so they raise them. But I feel like that's one thing that definitely stood out to me is that you don't know. Um, and so anytime that children are being taken away from their parents and trying to destroy that family unit, which is the central unit of society and, and really the source of all flourishing. We've seen time and time again, it all stems back to, to that, the nuclear family. And uh, that's, that's one of the key tenants that's mentioned. There's so many little things in like the movie and the book that's just like here and there and here and there, you know, there's like the big overarching themes and elements, but it's just interesting to see some of these little things that sprinkled throughout, not sprinkled, like it's every, every, um, scene and scenario in this movie book has a purpose and another level of meaning. Right. Well, and then there's the idea that the individuals are no longer, and it is all based on the communal. And Mm -hmm. that is, you know, total control exercise over all forms, you know, basically calling each person is now property of the state and can be tortured or murdered or made to disappear at whim. You know, we mm-hmm. own you, therefore. For the greater good. If exactly. you've ever read Harry Potter, which all all of our millennial listeners have, <laughs> right. you know, there's even that, that storyline through there, you know, with Grindelwald of for the greater good. And they don't really talk about that here in this book, but uh, that's something that I always think of when reference to communism is right. once you start hearing that phrase, you need to perk up your ears and, and, and back away. Not today, disco lady. <laughs> yes. It just never <laughs> ends well. 
never ends well for anyone. I, there's intentions, right? The, the intentions and yeah. the purpose could be good just as we see with the animals, but where it goes down leads bad places and leads to a lot of bad things happening. Yeah. All, typically always. Yeah. You know, communism works in theory. <laughs> <laughs> in theory, communism works in theory. Oh, Simpsons, you were so wonderful. <laughs> uh, we need to do, we just need to do like, a, I know we've already done the Simpsons movie, but we need to somehow like bring in like our favorite Simpsons episodes and just review them for <laughs> yes, fun please. because I miss the Simpsons. I, and I know like, whatever, there's new se- new seasons still today. And I, I don't, after season 10, you're dead to me. <laughs> well, maybe season 11 and 12. I mean, I'll they were, a little yeah, bit they had a couple those. things in yeah. there. But after that, it was like, I just don't, I just can't get behind anything. Yeah. Um, Original writing team. Yeah. Anyways, that was a tangent. (laughs) Tangent time, tangent time. So Napoleon kicks out Snowball, no more public gatherings. And we are told to trust the plan, trust the situation, trust your, the ones in charge. The committee. Yes. The committee of, you know, the rulers, the ruling class. And all the rules then change for the elite, you know, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. once again, that comes back into the language. The language comes in and says, well, this is all good except for this, you know, we, and they always work it to work for them, um, in a good way, but in everybody else, you all, you know, rules, the, the phrase rules for me, but not for the phrase comes to mind. Um, but yeah, that's you know, how it works out in every history that I have read about every time a country or, you know, group has gone to communism, you know, which is an interesting side note, um, as far as like on the one side, so with, with my own personal, uh, religion, there's also the side of basically community is a very important part of our religion. And, Mm-hmm. And we do see that a lot with, for example, um, my favorite and most poignant character was Boxer. He was the one that was working for everyone. He the and many of the of the working animals always had their comrades, their people, their friends, their community in their heart, and they were looking to do everything for their community. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until people outside of that ecosystem because they were lazier or they just didn't want, they wanted to just shirk their responsibilities. In the book, they talk about the cat, the cat who at the very beginning, Mm. uh, they have a vote on whether or not rats are decided to be uh, friends or foes. (laughs) And it was unanimous uh, for all animals that they were friend, except for the dog and the cat. And the cat was seen to have voted on both sides. (laughs) So it was like, what <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah the cat is kind of the person who's just the opportunist yeah. is gonna go whichever way is in power and doesn't really care either way just wants to make sure that the cat is on top which is very cat like <laughs> very cat-like. <laughs> uh, perfect it's just it worked too well <laughs> uh yeah but but killing boxer you know that's another moment that really uh, stands out and shows that hey hey something that something's happening here they're not living by the rules that we all agreed to and it, it's just slowly over time how these things happen they think oh, okay well it's going to get better and just it's just little by little by little by degrees ever so slightly things change and you can just see at the end like how you get from point a to point b it's just 
poisoned by degrees. So very unfortunate. And, you know, then they end up killing Boxer, who really is the main breadwinner. I mean, he is the muscle. He does a lot of the work, more work than some of the other animals, for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, the cat doesn't do anything, but he's willing to do his part. And then he dies. And um, then, you know, the, the pigs are still very opportunistic. They've they sold him. Yeah, so we can't let a good carcass go to waste, and they already have it arranged that he's going to be sold to the glue factory. And in the book, they come back and they like you have uh, Benjamin, which I thought was interesting. So Benjamin, he doesn't really have much of a part in this movie, but in the book, he's like the oldest of them all, and he always has this phrase of like, "You've never seen a dead." a dead donkey we live the longest and he never gives his opinion on anything but he's always has a knowing thing of like hmm, i knew that would happen type thing which is <laughs> interesting I'm like okay no one appreciates that guy who's like told you so <laughs> right like <laughs> and he just kind of goes along with it and he's like you know what life sucks and then you're gonna die but this is just how it works out so it's just he was an interesting character in the book i thought the the thing that messed that I took out of the book more than I took out of the movie was the very end where they bring in all of these other farm owners. And as you were saying, they, these pigs have now gone up on two legs in order to look like the, the other farmers. And they bring in all the farmers and the farmers come around and like, look at how much they're able to process out of these, out of their, their farms. And they're able to get twice as much out of their farm animals than we are and so we should be more like them. And you just have these mm -hmm. competing powers coming in and saying, oh, look how much we can do. And we can we can all be, you know, treat our people worse than, than <laughs> the other and make even more money, which is evil. <laughs> let's just, yep. let's just put it out. Let's, that's just evil. But I, I mean, I, I'm able to look at my own country and see a lot of issues. And I am able to see a lot of things that I think are evil but i'm also able to see a lot of really good things but it is those like things that pop up off the page that show up more i believe are showing up more and more as time goes on mm -hmm. um yeah your mileage may vary depending on your country yeah and where you are and your experience you know my husband lived in russia for two years i have a friend who lived in ukraine mm -hmm. and they very much have uh, different stories to tell yeah. about socialism, their experience having lived in America and then gone to a country that either still is that way mm -hmm. or is recovering, um, and even sharing the experience of people currently living in that country. For example, people in Russia still under socialism think it's great, mm -hmm. according to my husband. They like it. Yeah. Uh, they provide me a job and things are good. Whereas Ukraine who have kind of left that, they absolutely abhor socialism mm -hmm. and want nothing to do with it and, and really are trying everything they can to avoid falling back into that trap because they saw how horrible it was compared to where they are now. And I think that is a difference with some of these socialist or communist countries where the people just lit. It's like, why don't you revolt? Why don't you take, you know, take it back? It's they, they, literally do not know. They don't know freedom. They're not shown freedom. They don't see what freedom is. They don't Freedom is scary. We have such an American lens. Yeah, we we have just like lived it our entire life and so we have a different experience with it, but it's just they to them they they are free in a way and they're not being shown other points of view. So, anyway, 
very, very interesting. I love the end of the book. It's very dire. Yeah. And I think that is the, and that's like, when I saw the movie, I was just like, uh, that's a bummer. Like I get what they were trying to do. Like, Hey guys, there's hope. Um, cause then this was a propaganda piece um, <laughs> during the cold war. Right. It's like you can do it, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, I think it paints a starker picture of what happens if you do go down this road. I mean, I think it, it has a huge connection to globalism in, in the end, because mm -hmm. in the end you will own nothing and you will be happy. You know, that's kind of the, yeah the idea of it, of like, there will be a group of people that own and do and handle everything and you just have to do your thing and you will, you will live happily that way. And we'll make sure that you know, which group of the specials you are in. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And like, I've spent a lot of time outside the U S and I've spent time in, in Brazil as well as in Mexico re more recently and talk to, try to talk to people. I try to talk to people like, as far as like, what is their outlook on how their government is and how they live and the, just everything. And just based on what I have seen, you know, it's like, yeah, everybody has, um, I would say like a, a comfort level and we all do, we all have a, our comfort zones of what we like and what we dislike. But I also believe that both mindsets can live at the same time. There can be aspects of freedom and then there can also be aspects of um, communal living. There are places where there are, there's a certain group of people that they have decided that they want to live like hippies on a farm and they do it mm -hmm. and they do great with it. And then there's actually a city in Mexico where it's on the list of America's like, do not go to this city. It's the most dangerous city. One of the most dangerous cities in Mexico, but that's because it's dangerous to politicians and anybody connected to any type of government agency. And they have outlawed politics in this city of like 50,000 people. And they basically say, we're, we do not allow any bumper stickers. We don't allow any slogans or anything to come into this little area because they had had many years of issues where you had corrupt officials given access to their forest lands. And uh, these loggers had come in and were, were cutting down all these trees and people were actually being killed because they were standing up to them. And so they basically abolished the state in their 50,000 person town. And like, it's now one of the safest towns in all of the world. There hasn't been a death like by a shooting in like over 10 years since it was, since it happened. There is like a, like a chieftain type person, but he mm -hmm. doesn't have like any power over anybody. He's just more of the known leader of the area. Like, He's the ambassador, basically. Like, yeah, we'll we'll let you go and do that, but you don't really speak for anybody. So it's like there's there's so many different ways to live, and as long as people are truthful and you know not hurting somebody else, if you want to live that way, then I am all for you creating your little you know neighborhood of whatever you guys want to do. It's just when you come and tell me what I have to do or coercion or lying to me or anything like that. That's where I have issues. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I look at, I, I look at governments as, you know, very fluid. Yeah. So this, there's still so much that we haven't really even gotten to. And I think yeah. I highly, highly recommend checking out the book 
check it out from your local library. Some, co- some um, digital libraries have unlimited copies. I know for 1984, I, they have unlimited copies available of that for the audiobook. But if you want to check it out and you want to own it, go to rotoscopers.com slash audible. You can get the free audiobook there, which is pretty cool. I, it's just, if you haven't read it, I think it's just a really important piece of literature. Yeah. Um, and a good one to come back to if it's been a while since you've read it. So yeah. So with that, what do you rate the movie? The movie? Not the book. Um, I still think they did a good job with the movie. I would say more like a three and a half star as far as like, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd probably go in and show it to somebody and I liked it enough to be like, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I get that. That's interesting. And I, I see so many things. Book is always better though. So yes, I'm also going to rate it three and a half stars. I hate when you do that, Chelsea. I have it in my mind when I'm going to rate it and then you go first and then you <laughs> say it. And I'm like, Ugh, now it looks like I'm copying her or that we just have the same opinions, but three and a half stars. I thought the movie was good. I liked that it stayed mostly true to the source material and did the best that it could in a 60 minute time frame to consolidate and to have the high points. So you can kind of get the gist of animal farm. I don't like the ending. I think the ending is kind of a disappointment and they should have kept the original ending Mm -hmm. uh, so much better. And yeah, if you're interested in checking out the longer one, which is the more live action one, I will include a link in the show notes for that because, um, to be honest, if you were going to watch one of the two, I would watch that one, the not the animated one, unfortunately, just because it's longer. And I feel like it does more, more of the characters are there and you have more time to really explore these things. But yeah, I would I, do both. Read the book, watch the movie, think about the concepts and talk about it with someone. <laughs> I've enjoyed my, I enjoy, what, what is it? What's the end of mode? I enjoy our visits, darling. Talking with you, Chelsea. <laughs> All right, guys, let us know in the comments your thoughts. Did you grow up watching this movie? Is this the first time you watched this movie? Have you never seen the movie? Did you read the book in high school or at some point in time? Let us know at rotoscopers.com slash 222. We didn't even talk about that. This is a very, very lucky episode. Uh-huh, 222. Yes. Too bad we didn't release it on February 22nd, 2022, but that wouldn't have we would have had to go six months without an episode. <laughs> we want to time it just right, just so we could have that moment. But let us know on that episode show notes. That's where you can find all of the links. We talked about a lot of books and movies. So all of those links will be in the show notes there. And then check us out on Instagram. We can keep the discussion going. We love it when you share that you are listening to the podcast. Just take a screenshot of the different podcast player that you're listening to and then share it and tag us. Be sure to share it on our stories. It is fun to see where you guys are listening to the podcast and what you're liking. That's all we have for today. And until next time, we We are are the the Rotoscopers. saw that on a t-shirt and I thought it was amazing. I've also seen, I've also seen, uh, make 1984 fiction again, but I thought Orwell fiction again was, was like, <laughs> nice. Okay. And that's all we have for today until, wait, how's it go? Until next time. Okay. Wow. That was a miracle. I think baby just woke up. Oof. Okay. And dog just started barking. <laughs> <laughs>